If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. And our mission is to inspire problem solvers. When they're using some of these tools, they're like, well, this is the same thing that somebody uses in the office down the block. So kids actually start to be able to see purpose and meaning and connection through what they're learning and to what they might be able to explore in the future. When the pandemic uprooted life as we knew it, the Tech Interactive didn't miss a beat. They had to temporarily close their physical location, but they went right ahead, furthering their mission with much-needed online STEAM-focused activities, providing fun along with education. For anybody that is unfamiliar with the tech, what is it? So the Tech Interactive lives in San Jose. We are a science center. We're particularly unique in that you'll find experiences there that you won't find anywhere else. Our exhibition team has designed most of our exhibits from scratch based on ideas relevant to Silicon Valley spirit of innovation. So a lot of us coming out of that innovative spirit that exists in the region. And our mission is to inspire problem solvers. The entire museum has been redone in the past six years with the completion of Solve for Earth. So there's a lot to see. Even if you did come with several years ago, there'll be new exhibits that you haven't seen yet. Katrina Stevens is president and CEO of the Tech Interactive. And on May 29th of this year, the tech, as it's called for short, is going to be having a grand reopening of its physical location in San Jose. Katrina, you have this wonderful statement on the website of the tech in which you say, a lot of times in informal learning situations, a child discovers a spark that leads to their passion. I'd like to know what was that spark for you that led you to learning science and educational technology? One of the things that was interesting about my early days is that I was somebody who was a little anti-tech. So when I first started teaching, I was the last person to get a cell phone. I loved my classroom with you know, kids having conversations about books, and I didn't see any reason to have technology. And so I was sort of one of the last ones to come to the table. But what happened is that I moved to Bermuda, uh, went there for three years to help redesign part of their education system. And when I was there, it's literally an island. And so I realized that if I didn't use technology, then my kids were really cut off from the kinds of expertise and the kinds of experiences that I wanted for them. And so that's really what started me on that, was realizing that technology can actually create more opportunities for kids who don't have those opportunities. So it's really about equity. And even in the United States, you know, coming back, we've got kids who are in more rural areas. And technology allows you to be able to bring all kinds of experiences. What's really fun about that is I realize I'm speaking to a fellow arts person. I looked on your LinkedIn. I'm speaking to an English teacher who is the head of an English department. Wow. That is correct. (laughs) What was the first technology that you put into place at that point in Bermuda that really helped your class? Uh, It was actually really a webinar. It was, you know, just being able to use a tool. You know, this is pre-Zoom, but being able to use a webinar so that I could have kids actually talk to some experts who are in the States. And so I got you know, like a scientist to be able to come on and, and the kids could ask them questions. And it realized for me that, you know, that technology can close those distances. And the kids were so excited. You know, they were really excited to be able to see someone, particularly kids of color. It's really helpful for kids of color to be able to see scientists who look like them. And so that was one of the reasons I was really being able to expand a wider net so that I could have a wider set of people for my kids to be able to see. Fast forward to today as the first female director, president, and CEO of the tech. Wow. And you just came on in November. 
What was that like for you coming on in the middle of the pandemic and taking over the helm of the tech? Well, as you can imagine, coming on board during the pandemic and when because of you know COVID, we've been closed, or at least our doors have been closed. So one of the things that we talk about a lot is that even though our doors were not open, we were still open for business. So we've been really making sure we pivoted very quickly and we're able to put a lot of activities online and to figure out how to, to be able to do a lot of the teacher training and some of the other programs that we have, the tech challenge competition. We're able to do those things virtually. Did I understand that you've not yet face-to-face met your staff and they've accomplished all these amazing things? That is true. So I met my leadership team and that was only really maybe three, four weeks ago for the first time. We had a board member's house that was you know, had much more circulation on the top of a beautiful hill. And I think the first thing that we were sort of surprised, like everyone is the same height on Zoom. (laughs) And so so the first thing was like, oh, we're we're all different heights. And so I'm not particularly tall. So I think that might've been a little bit of a surprise, but we made a breakthrough. Yeah, we came together being able to be in person and we were able to, to finally connect a few pieces that we were trying to work through. So it was really lovely to see them. It was also funny that the degree that, so I've never met them in person and yet I felt like they were family. And so when I, because we'd worked on so many things through Zoom and when I met them, I wanted to hug them, but you can't because of COVID. But I had that instinct. And so you can really create really meaningful connections with people, even if you don't meet them in person. But the in-person actually really you know, deepens that and, and allows it to happen, I think, a little more quickly. Coming on as a CEO, some of the things that I really miss are just being able to walk the halls and get to know the staff. I'm also really miss being able to see kids and families. We're opening May 29th for Memorial Day, and I am super excited to be able to see the excitement, you know, that you can just see the kids' faces light up, and I'm so looking forward to being able to do that. Let's fast forward time in our imagination. It's now May 29th. What do we see? Yeah, so you're going to see all the usual favorites. So you will still see Social Robots, which is one of our, well, that is the one that is beloved. You will see, and we still have a piece that's on space. You'll still see that. You will see Body Worlds Decoded. So this is not like any Body Worlds exhibit you've ever seen because we have an AR that's on top of that. So you're able to see all this information using tablets that we provide. So you'll see that will still be there. Cyber Detectives, which is also another really favorite, where essentially you get to go in and you get to pretend like you are trying to figure out who is trying to hack you. And that's the, you know, the detective piece of it. The thing that no one has seen before is we have a brand new exhibit called Solve for Earth, and we're opening it in beta. It is the largest exhibit we've ever had. Um, I'm super excited about it. It is really about sustainability. And so there's some really cool interactives that are there. There's something called Sustainable Cities, and you'll be able to take the, make decisions about what kinds of, whether you want more trees, where you want transportation to be, and the city literally changes in front of you. And so it's really, really neat. So I'm hoping anyone who can will be able to come and see that. Anybody that wants a sneak preview, I got to see a little bit of Solve for Earth and how you go through the kids getting ready for school and what they have to do. Is that going to be featured there as well? That will be as well. We also have something called Pick and Choose, which is one of my favorites. Essentially, you go, it's like going to Chipotle. You have a set of menus and you get to build your meal. And then at the end of that meal, it tells you your choices in terms of sustainability. So how much water was involved, you know, how much, how much kind of energy was being used, how far did food have to travel? So, you know, oftentimes like people go and they look at calories, but this actually tells you like, what was your impact on the earth and the choices that you make for food? And there's the kinds of, you know, foods that are available. So 
kids will actually be able to to connect to the food choices that are there. It strikes me this is a fantastic resource to avoid something that parents always say they're concerned about over summer, <laughs> which kids forgetting what they've learned. And this yes. is a so much better way, I think, than just drilling, drilling, drilling. What are some of the exercises in addition to Solve for Earth and some of the different exhibits that are especially going to boost what kids know over summertime so they're ready for fall? Yeah, and I'm going to pause before I even share some of the activities because there's a lot of conversation right now about learning loss. And one of the things I would love for us to do is to really kind of reframe that phrase because it assumes that young people weren't learning on their own. For many kids, actually, they were able to pursue the kinds of things that they deeply cared about you know, while they were, they had additional time when they were doing school at home. But the other piece of it is that I think sometimes what happens is that parents and educators are like, oh, my kids have lost this part of the curriculum. And so this summer, we're going to drill our kids to be able to pick that up. And that's not what our kids need right now. You know, our kids have had really hard year, year plus. And what they need is kind of hands-on activities. I call them hands-on, minds-on activities. So things that are just fun. Like We need to be able to help our kids get that spark for learning to be able to you know, curiosity again, if they've lost it, and to be able to allow them to be able to do things that are like not on screen. You know, a lot of our activities are designed specifically so that like on tech at home, that you go get the directions for and know how to do something there. But the activities are things you do with your hands. And that's something that I think our kids need right now. And they also need to socialize. So some of our activities are designed so that you can do them in groups. So if several friends can do something together. We have a whole series of what we call tech challenges, our design challenges. And there's a set of 10 of them that kids can, they have a ton of fun. I just saw them, we just finished our tech challenge for the year. And some of the kids created these amazing things. The one kids made this machine. So the tech competition was that you needed to be able to create something out of cardboard, useful, that turned into something else using the exact same parts that was also useful. And you had to be able to make that transition in five minutes. And so the kids were incredibly creative. One of the kids' teams created a essentially a closet that then turned into a desk that actually held books, held, you know, held clothes. Then another one created this, it picked up tennis balls off the ground, and then it turned into a fruit picker that actually worked. Yeah, so they're, uh, they're really amazing, but those are the kinds of design challenges. And then we have some that are, you know, you can do in, in more easily in single settings. One of the activities that's really popular is one that we call inflatables. So kids basically get to use different things. Like you can use an unused doggy bag <laughs> and blow it up with your blow dryer and you can actually make it inflatable. So that's one that we saw like lots of kids were doing it over the past year. So that was one that's on there. I'm trying to think some of the other ones. We've got some... Again, like there's a whole set and series of these and they were designed based on things that kids do on the floor. And so we redesigned them using things that kids had at home. Like once, that's one of the things we try to really be very careful about. We want to make sure that as many kids as possible can use the resources. So we design our activities intentionally with that. I love that there's fun at the core of all yeah. of this, because yeah. thinking back to what parents used yeah. to do when they were scared of learning loss, which I love that you reframed that. It wasn't fun. I'm remembering as a kid in the 1960s being drilled over multiplication tables over summer. Ugh. Yeah. 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 What if yeah. you had, let's say, girls who are not that much into math or science, but they're basically arts people? I can see the design challenge you just mentioned would really capture their imagination. What else yeah. do you have that might tempt them and get them thinking differently about these subjects? Yeah. And for girls, especially all kids, they come to being able to want to do STEM activities often because they want to actually do something else. And so the you know tech or math are, are ways to get there. 
And so if you have kids solving a problem that they think is interesting or that they care about, they're much more likely to like, oh, I need to learn this piece of technology or this design principle because I want this change in the world that I want to see. Like some of the things that are on our site are like building a storm drain that can keep water clean when it rains or a wind powered vehicle to deliver something like a cupcake or a dog treat. A lot of kids do the dog treat ones, like be able to deliver the dog. And it's just fun. You know, it's, they get to be creative and be able to think about that. We also have some activities that are on there that are even more arts oriented. And so there's a number of ways that young people can, can come and, and be able to find their way in. We often talk about, you know, tech is a tool. It is not the end product. And so finding whatever it is that a young person, a young girl cares about, and then, you know, giving her some basic tools so that she can go and figure out how she can create something, whether she wants to make a website or whether or not she wants to figure out a game or create something around the house that makes their lives a little bit better. I love the idea of tech as a vehicle. This is great because now it's not intimidating. Now it's simply, I need to get here. How do I do that? There was this very fun project that I was not even aware of until Marika emailed me. There was a time capsule that the tech had for 1999. I wish you'd tell me about this project and what it spawned. Yeah. So the funny thing is, is that we did this time capsule when the new building was put up. And then we lost it. <laughs> so apparently, like it was lost for a little bit and a volunteer had a copy. And so we were able to recover it. We've had been a huge phenomenon on TikTok with these. But my favorite one, and this is, I think, the one that captured the imagination of a lot of people in the country, was a set of grandparents that told their grandkids, knowing that they would probably not be around when they weren't, they aren't, and shared like, here's what they thought their predictions were for the future. And then we found the grandkids. And so we filmed them watching their grandparents give this message. And it was just this amazing, you know, just joyful, but just like tear jerking kind of response. It was pretty amazing. But it was also just striking how similar some of the, like how close the predictions were. You know, some of them like, oh, you're going to have this kind of Dick Tracy kind of watch on your, <laughs> like, yep, <laughs> you know, we have, like, we have those kinds of watches that essentially, you know, perform like little computers that are on our, on our wrists. There were ones around, you know, predicting, like, one of them was actually in some ways a little, I'm trying to think of the right word, but given that, you know, given how 2020 was, it's a 2020 is going to be the best year ever, <laughs> you know, and so there were some, they're like, well, maybe not so much, <laughs> um, but but most of the, you know, and we had scientists who gave, you know, predictions. We had young kids who gave predictions. We had, so it was a whole range of people saying like, here's what I think the future school, like the mayor, actually, I think it was the mayor who said that 2020 was going to be amazing. And he still says, he responded to it on one of our things that it's still a year where we're making progress. <laughs> so, so he still stands by that prediction, but they're lots of fun. You can see a whole series of them on TikTok. And I think we have some also on Facebook that are just really delightful to be able to see what it looks like. I had to laugh when I saw the mayor, Tom McInerney, I think at that yeah, point in time, somebody exactly. said, somebody get the guy who jinxed 2020. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that <was> really... <laughs> yeah, exactly I refuse right. to say that 2040 will be a wonderful year, given what happened with Tom <laughs> McInerney. Yeah. Yes. I didn't even ask you about the project that you're now doing that has to do with the time capsule. What did that lead to for the next year? You have another challenge with the time capsule now? Yeah, so we, and we have directions actually too on our site for the way to, to have anyone can kind of create a time capsule and we give kind of sets of instructions for our best practices to do that. And similarly, we're doing the same thing. We're following up one with some of the people who are in the original and then we are documenting folks now. So we want in 20 years, we want to be able to, you know, again, be able to have a whole new set of uh, predictions that to come out of that. So it's been a very fun project, both in uncovering and 
being able to connect with people who made those original predictions as well as being able to think about, you know, what do we want the future generation to be able to hear from us? When we talk about a future generation, coming back to the idea of accessibility in education and the idea of equity and working together, what are some of the things that you've been able to develop that have been most exciting for you as we look forward, not just to the coming year, but maybe the next 20 or 30? Yeah, so accessibility and inclusion are really important to me and important to the rest of the tech community. We care very deeply about trying to have really inclusive, welcoming learning spaces, whether that's you know on a digital format or in our own space. And so some of the things that we've done, we've actually brought some folks in to help do an accessibility audit with us and looking for opportunities. What are some ways that we can actually be even more inclusive, that we can make things even more accessible for folks? So we've been doing a lot around that. I'm really just trying to be more thoughtful. And particularly as we're designing a new expansion space, it's a real opportunity for us to be even more thoughtful there. We're also just, we're proud of the fact that we've been able to get really high numbers. For example, for the Tech Challenge, we had over 51% of the kids who participated were girls, and which is a phenomenal. The Tech Challenge has been, it is the longest running engineering competition or challenge, and it's been 34 years. And so to be able to have like a really high number of girls participating, as well as students who are coming from Title I schools, we also had a very high percentage of folks as well. So we are committed to being able to make our experiences as accessible as possible and to reach as many kids as possible. But one of the things, it actually gets sometimes tricky and complicated. So for example, Solve for Earth. What turns out when you start thinking about the kinds of choices that kids can make, it's hard to design exhibits around those because you start having to, for example, if you're having kids think about, at one point it was, you know, kids can take their lunch to school. Well, that's true for some kids, but for a lot of our kids, actually, they get lunch at school that's provided for them. And so if you read an activity that says that's something you should do and it's not something that you can do, then that's not a good situation for our kids to be in. So we have to think about every single activity and experience on the floor and that we provide through that lens of, you know, kids coming from lots of different circumstances and how do you design for that? Solve for Earth was also tricky because food can be a big issue for a lot of young people. And so you have to design it in such a way that it doesn't make kids feel guilty. You want to make sure that kids aren't, you know, don't become more food conscious in a way that is unhealthy. So we have to think about these things all the time. Social robots is another one where it turns out that if the robot is on wheels and you see the wheels, then girls weren't playing with it as long as boys were. And so by putting a little skirt, like on, so you still have wheels, but they're not as visible, girls play with them equally as long. You know, so like these small kinds of tweaks are things that we really think about to figure out like how can we, you know, make sure this experience is inclusive for all kids. And notice so we, we didn't make pink robots. <laughs> we, made, right? we made a robot that every child uses, but it is designed as itself as being something that all kids would be more likely to want to play with. Thank you for not making pink ones. I don't know who in the world thought that appealing to women equals pink, but somehow. (laughs) Why were the girls kind of put off by wheels on the robots? That's interesting. Yeah, and it's they're associating it with things like trucks and mechanical. And because there's just so much information that comes at kids that says, you know, that girls aren't as likely to go into to become scientists or to play with, you know, construction or to be anything in the mechanical space, it's unconscious. You know, just unconsciously, they feel like this is less for me. 
and this is more for boys. And so, I mean, there's a lot we need to do societally to change those biases and assumptions that come in, but a lot of them exist. And so we try to design around those so that those aren't the barriers to kids enjoying the learning experiences that we have for them. That's incredible to think about that. I actually had a teacher that I interviewed before tell me when they put together a team, girls and boys, the boys were like, here, hand me these pieces. And the teacher said, no, 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 the girls are engineers too. Yes, no, exactly. Well, and one piece of advice there too, is that oftentimes if you have smaller group of girls and you have boys, the instinct for a lot of teachers is to mix the girls in with all the rest of the boys. The best practice is actually to have the girls work together first because they do better when they have kind of an affinity for themselves. And then you can actually then start mixing them with the rest of the group. But it's, you know, again, sometimes our first instincts aren't necessarily based on the real science and research that comes out of this. Which is so interesting because women have been makers for centuries, thinking back Absolutely. historically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We um, had a teacher come through one of our academies and she shared that we do teacher training and she shared, she said, I'm really embarrassed to say this, but you know, I used to not want to, I used to, want to make sure that we didn't have all girls groups because I was like, who's going to build it? You know, and, and she recognized through our program that that's, you know, it's the, again, these are unconscious. And she was realizing, I didn't even realize that that's what I was thinking, but that's what I was thinking. And so we, you know, being able to kind of change perceptions and understandings. And we talk about microaggressions, you know, these, these small things that come at you that tell you you're not good at something or something is not sit for you. But I like to talk about these kind of micro moves. And so what are the counter things that we do? as educators or you know, in the science center, what are the things that we can do that counter those and that support a young person's identity you know, as a STEM person or as an innovator, as a creator? And there's lots of things that we can do. In fact, I would love to give a shout out to two of the videos on your TikTok site that really had me laughing hysterically. I thought they were great. You had a woman who created a Peeps diorama and you had one that made a <laughs> Halloween haunted house. And I love yes. these. Would you tell yes. me about those? Yeah. And so these are, again, we're fortunate that oftentimes the kids will share these videos because they'd like to share their stuff with each other. And so both these come out of exercises that we put on that are kind of fairly open-ended, you know, like design something. And then then kids just come up with their own ideas around these. And so that's all. And I was a former teacher and I've always known that young people are significantly more capable than we think that they are. If you just kind of give them a few tools and let them go, they will blow you away. What if the teacher is listening right now? And unfortunately, they're not in San Jose. They probably can't come to the tech. What are some of the resources they might like to know about for summer? And what are some of the ones for fall? Yes. And so I would also give a couple pieces of advice before sharing resources to the teachers. One, the power of yet. So if your kids say to you, I don't know how to do this, I can't do this, you respond and say, you can't do it yet. You don't know how to do it yet. So this power of yet is a great teacher tool. The other thing I would also say is that teachers oftentimes with younger kids will say things like, we're going to be scientists today. It's better for you to say, you're going to do science today. The research shows that when you say we're going to be scientists, girls and kids of color are more likely to not see themselves. And so they'll do the activity, but it doesn't actually build their STEM identity. So these small things can make a big difference. But in terms of resources, we've got a lot of resources. So if you go at tech at home, there's a whole set and they're all, you know, they're structured in ways so that there's ones that are more about designing or science explorations. There's ones that are kind of by brain breaks. There's a series that's around computational thinking. And again, it's like, you know, earlier, which prepares young people to become, to want to go into things that are like data science or computer science. 
There's a whole set of design challenges that are coming from our 34 years of having done tech challenges. So there's lots of those that have been designed specifically for, for teachers and kids to be able to do with very with the kinds of resources that you'd be able to get at home. And then of course, TikTok, we're always, we're posting a lot of these activities there as well. And so I would also, we have a set of field trips. So if you can't come in, we have a few other things that you can do. So one, we've got two videos right now that are on the site. One is a essentially a tour of the, you know, of, of the tech interactive. So you can come and see what it looks like, but actually has lots of different scientists or people in tech talking about their careers. And then we have a second one that's similarly about four different organizations that are our tech laureates, people that we've identified that have done something that uses technology to make the world a better place. And kids really like these. And so those are things you can use for classroom resources. In addition to there's a set of lessons around those that teachers can download and that they, they can use. Lots of fantastic resources. Let's give the website and the TikTok channel. So the website is, there's a couple of ways. So if you go to the tech interactive, then you will get it there. The resources that I just described were the whole sets of lessons. If you go to thetechathome.org, you'll be able to see them all organized and you can download them there very easily. And there's a link on that site that goes straight to the virtual field trips. So you can also see the two videos that I was just talking about and the activities. I also want to mention that this website is also in Spanish. So we have Tech and Casa for folks who would prefer to be able to see these resources in Spanish and or who need the resources in Spanish for their kids. Techathome.org and Tech and Casa. Yes. I also wanted to point out that you had a wonderful artist in one of your virtual field trips. You have an Adobe creative that might be kind of fun for people to see. Yes, yes, absolutely. And Adobe's been actually a great partner for us. There's a lot of resources that they use, that people use in their daily jobs. And those are the same kinds of tools that kids can use. You know, and it prepares them for the real world. You know, they, they're like, oh, when, you, when they're using some of these tools and then they're like, well, this is the same thing that somebody uses, you know, in the office, you know, down the block. So kids actually start to be able to see purpose and meaning and connection to what they're learning and to what they might be able to explore in the future. That's really the key. I was also intrigued that on your TikTok channel, you have networking and leadership skills that wouldn't necessarily occur to me as STEAM. Yeah. Or as technology, how'd you come to make that choice? Yeah, well, so one, we have a nice partnership with Miss CEO. And so we do a lot of activities and she runs an organization that is really around helping build some of these networking skills and confidence building for young people. But for any of these kinds of careers, we know that one, you start with spark. And so you have lots of moments of spark, things that get you excited. Then you need to go through a phase of where you're building skills and confidence, you know, that you can do these things, you know, these might be possible careers for you. And then you start actually doing some exploration in terms of what career pathways might look like in STEM or STEAM. And one of the things we know is that a lot of times young people don't have those other sets of skills that would make them successful in getting an internship, for example, in a STEM career. Also, like being able to understand the science or the technology is not the same thing as being able to communicate that. And so one of the things we also want to develop is the skills to be able to to share what you're learning in ways that will actually then have impact. And so that's a lot of why we think about the development of young people, because we need leaders in STEM fields. We need them and we need leaders that can actually explain and articulate why we need to have the technology we do or why we need to be able to listen to the facts that are coming out about science or other kinds of STEAM topics. 
sounds like communication will be a key skill no matter how much the work world changes. But what other skills would you say that kids really need to learn in a world where we don't necessarily know what their professions are going to be in 20 years? They may not have been invented yet. In fact, we think most of those jobs that are going to exist in, in 20 years don't exist now. And so the things that we know that young people need are the core. You know, it's the problem-solving skills. It's communication. It's collaboration, being able to work with each other. It's creativity. You know, it's all of the, you know, what we used to call 21st century skills. But essentially, it's like learning how to learn. And that's the fundamental. And so we base all of our activities more around the skills they're learning than the content. You know, so it's that problem solving, that innovation, being creative, being able to think about like a way to solve a problem or to you know, create something new that they want to post on TikTok. That skill of being able to learn how to do something, to try something, have it fail, try again, try again. That's the kinds of skills that you're going to need. And even if our young people don't go into STEM careers, those skills are really useful in all fields that kids might think about going into. Total life skills here. What do you consider one of the most fun things you have learned since you took the helm at the tech. What's been something that maybe even surprised you about science of learning or about technology of education? Well, one of the things that I'm really proud of our team for that I didn't quite realize until I took on this, like, that when the doors closed, the team's completely pivoted. And within days, we had the you know tech at home website. That didn't exist before. The commitment that you know, that our team has, and both to being able to make sure we're continuing to serve community, but particularly to make sure that we're reaching our most underserved, just really proud of the phenomenal work that they've done, you know, over the past year. And as I see them getting ready for the reopening, just how excited they are, you know, to see young people and to be able to, some of like the Solve for Earth people have been working on for three years, you know, and so that moment of when you get to see it for the first time, I just, I'm really loving being part of that, you know, that culture of care and the excitement. And I'm getting that people are discovering things right along with the kids. We are. And some of those things I was talking about, like social robots, and that was part of our R&D process. And so we get these little insights all the time that we start to, we look at the research base, but then a lot of it is just things that we discover. And one of the things that we're committed to, partly because of my background before, but we're really going to start going towards making sure that as we learn these things, that we get them out to the field. And so we're thinking about really practical ways. And so if we learn, you know, something like the power of yet, which actually is something that's very well known in the field. But if we discovered that, then I would want us to be able to get that to more teachers. You know, like that we do a tons of research and development here in-house. And I want to make sure that we are sharing that broadly. So that adds to the, the insights that lots of teachers and other science centers are being able to use. Well. Katrina recalled one of her own favorite experiences with an interactive museum. So I've always liked science museum. I never thought I would run one, but I've always enjoyed science centers. It's a thing that I would do when I would go to, I'm often speaking in conferences, and so I would kind of slip away and go visit different museums. The one time that I thought that as a good memory for me is that a colleague, or now a colleague, Richard Collada, had asked me to join the Obama administration. And I had just come out of a very bureaucratic job. And I was like, I just don't want to go into another bureaucracy. Government is just is bureaucratic. And so he and I were at a conference and we were in Pittsburgh. And so we slipped away to the Pittsburgh Children's Museum, which is one of my favorites. It's always been one of my favorites. But there's a gravity room in there. So the floor is like a 25% angle. And it's just, yeah, it's designed so that it's very distorted. You know, and it's, you, you're having this experience. So both he and I are in that room, you know, doing like you know, kind of crazy moves. <laughs> um, and I had this epiphany of like, 
he's not like a bureaucratic guy, <laughs> like, you know? So, yeah. And, and I decided actually in that moment at that science center that I was going to join the Obama administration. I was like, I, I feel like I can actually get some stuff done. And this guy is somebody who will be fun to work with. And we did. We actually got a ton of work together. But I, for me, that moment was really sitting in the gravity room inside the Pittsburgh Children's Museum. How much fun. My audience is going to boo and hiss if I don't ask you, what was one of your most fun memories of working with the Obama administration? Oh, so many. <laughs> so many. Actually, my favorite moment was that you're not supposed to take selfies of Obama. There's a period of time where, the, where people did that, but then the, you know, security decided that you were not going to have, that that was going to be an issue for security reasons. And so I was sitting in the White House for an event and I happened to have my camera over kind of sitting like this and, and Obama walks in the door. He's about to speak. And just because of how I took the shot, you can't see that there's security or other people around. <laughs> and so I've got this great selfie of me and him kind of coming in the door behind me that looks like we're just like hanging out. So that was one of my favorite moments. I will say that there was something just powerful about being you know, the few times that I met him, of just how incredibly seriously he took his role. So when there was a plan to be able to have him put on a kind of VR, you know, because we were promoting something that was coming out of partnership with the White House. And he was so careful to make sure that he had knew all the research, that he wanted to make sure that if he put that on, he knew that kids were going to use it you know, more likely to go, you know, to want to try that. And he wanted to make sure that we had all the research that it wasn't going to damage kids, you know, that it was going to be development appropriate. He just really understood his role as a role model. And, you know, he took all of the care to be able to make sure that he got those messages out to kids. So for me, that was actually just something that stuck with me over time is just recognizing when you're in a role where people will follow you or listen to you, that you have to be really careful and need to make sure that you're doing all of that in an evidence-based informed way because it can have impact. You mentioned expansion before. I didn't get to ask you that. In what directions do you most want to expand the tech in future years? Yeah, so there's a building going up next to us called Park Habitat. And we will have the first two floors of that. And so we are going to have expanded space that we'll be able to have more classrooms and more lab spaces. And we are in the process of designing that to really be more of a STEM careers pathway center where we're really helping the kids, you know, particularly teenagers, be able to think about how can they get into the careers that are in the region. Wow. Do you have a timeline on that yet? No, it's several years away. So we're looking at probably the middle of the year in 2024. And finally, Katrina, if people could only get one thing from you and from the tech about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you really love them to take away? I would want people to take away and to understand that anyone of all ages, all abilities, have in them like an innovative spirit. All of us, you know, have the ability to think through something and to be able to try something and come up with something that makes a difference. Now, all of us have this in it. And just, it's not just because you think that you're a STEM person. We all are innovators. We all are creatives. We just have to find the right outlet. Katrina, thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. You and I have been listening to Katrina Stevens, President and CEO of the Tech Interactive in San Jose. The Tech invites you to explore their exhibits either on-site, on their grand reopening day May 29th or any time after that, or online. You'll find their hours and more information at thetechinteractive.org. And check out the Tech at Home resources Katrina mentioned on thetechathome.org. Once again, that's thetechinteractive.org and thetechathome.org. And... 
don't miss the tech's videos of their virtual field trips and maker projects on TikTok. You'll find those on TikTok as the Tech Interactive. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us, twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.